There are, there are two truths in Scripture that I want to give you this morning that's going to kind of be our, our foundation for, for the message this morning. And, and the first one is 2 Timothy 3.16, where the Apostle Paul speaking says this to Timothy. He says, all Scripture, everybody say that, all Scripture, this, this whole thing, all of this that's written in the Word of God, all 66 books, all Scripture is, is breathed out by who? By God. And is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and the training in righteousness. And then I like what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 160. It says, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And what we've been doing over this whole summer, we're kind of finishing up the message today, is looking at the character of God and basically discovering who God is. And we've looked at everything from his love to his, his judgment, to his jealousy, um, to his grace. And, and I think one of the characteristics of God that we see in our world today that's probably under attack more than any other is the truth of God. Is, is there actually absolute truth? Is, is this word that we have, the 66 books, is this truth? And, and in this book, can we find absolute truth? Is God's word absolute? Like we can trust this fully, that, that, that there's no error in this. Now, now, I believe that 100%, that this is the errant word of God, that this is complete truth, that the truth of the word of God is what leads us, guides us, and shows us all reality. Now, the problem is we live in a world that doesn't believe that. So we're under constant attack of this truth. And is there truth or can I find truth in other, uh, through other ways? And so the problem is we, we, there's a word, it's, it's relative truth. Is truth relative? Meaning whatever you think it is, truth may be different according to who you may ask. And, and this is where we kind of get situational ethics, whether something is right or wrong relative to uh, the situation. So this is how our culture views it. Our culture views truth as something inside of us. It starts with us, subject to revision according to our growth and enlightenment. Okay, But, but scriptures view truth as something not, not inside of us, but actually outside of us, which we can believe or not, but can never be swayed. And so it, it's, it's interesting that we live in a world where this relative truth is taught, relative truth, basically whatever you think is truth for you, then it's truth for you, but it's not, it may not be truth for me. So there's really not this absolute truth. G.K. Chesterton captured this relativism correctly by saying it has its feet firmly planted in midair. So, so if we believe in relative truth, that's basically what it is. It's having your feet planted in midair. So we falsely believe that, that there can't be absolute truth and no one can claim absolute truth. But I like what Ravi Zacharias says here. He makes a great point when he says, the fact is truth matters, especially when you are on the receiving end of a lie. How do you know? All of a sudden, you know, I, I want to know the truth, right? Especially when you're on the receiving end of a lie. And so until we... Um, are misunderstood or a lie is told about us or, you know, is thought about us, then we want the truth. So truth matters when your reputation is at, at stake. Now, if someone doesn't believe in absolute truth, you can just ask them this question. Do you believe in absolute truth? And their, and their response would be no. And you, you can say, are you absolutely sure that you don't believe in absolute truth? Yes. Well, you just made an absolute statement. 
right? So here's the thing. Can you imagine if 2 plus 2 equaled whatever you wanted it to? If we don't have a standard in life, it would be disastrous. We have standards for what a mile is, what a pound is, what a gallon is. Can you imagine if we had no standard for a speed limit? Right? Okay. Ruth, that's not a good place for an amen, okay? Okay. Um, not that she obeys it anyways. But anyways, okay. So listen, we, we need to have this standard in our life, our life would be chaotic. How many of you don't even realize, and the world doesn't even realize, how many laws we have that are actually founded in the Word of God? That actually have its source in the Word of God that we don't even recognize at times. I, I read this story that really, it, 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 it bothered me, and it just it hammers this point home about truth, that we need absolute truth in our life. On April 15th, 1999, true story, there was a Korean air cargo flight 6316 from Shanghai to Seoul and it, it, it basically crashed because of confusion not because of weather or anything else but it crashed because of confusion from the tower's instruction which as a result eight people died in that crash what happened was the tower's instructions were in meters and the instrument panel of the plane the altimeter was in feet. And so it happened that plane crashed because of that. Now, now, we may say, well, there's many ways to heaven and there's many ways to God and all roads lead to heaven and God. And, and this is nice and this, is, this seems very, uh, you know, just tolerant to everybody. But, but is it true? Because the results can be disastrous. Like that Korean cargo flight, they needed one standard. See, this is what Jesus says. This isn't what I say, but this is what Jesus said of himself. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me, John 14, 6. You see, at the end of the day, somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong. There's no happy medium as much as we would like there to be. Jesus didn't give us that option. He didn't say you can believe whatever you want, or you can believe in whoever you want to. Jesus, before he went to the cross, faced Pontius Pilate, Roman governor over that region. It's recorded for us in John 18. And this is what it says. Here, here's the conversation that's recorded for us in John 18. It says, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. I'm the way. I, I didn't say that I'll, I'll show you truth. Jesus actually said, I am truth, which means every word that comes out of my mouth is truth, is absolute truth. So he says, to be a witness to the truth. Isn't that interesting? Everyone who is of the truth listens to who? My voice. Pilate said to him, great question. He said, then what is truth? Good. Here he's got the truth right before him. But after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. What's interesting about that conversation, about that encounter with Pontius Pilate? What's interesting about this encounter is Pilate 
after he asks the question about what is truth, right before him is the truth, yet Pilate doesn't wait for the answer. Here's what's so ironic about that. The very one who could give him truth, the one that could give him the answer to life, doesn't wait. He just leaves. Jesus is brought before Pilate on a bed of lies, and Pilate sees nothing wrong with him and no threat to Rome. But he doesn't care about knowing really what the truth is. He cared more about his life. And that's something that we, especially as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to know what the truth is. Because if we don't know what the truth is, we can never combat a lie. And so when we react to the truth, we can react one of two ways. It can either change us or it can harden us. And for Pilate, he didn't want it to change him. He just didn't want it to bother his life. So here's the question. The question is this. Why should I care about knowing the truth? Or why should I care about seeking the truth? See, the truth of our world today is we need to be aware of what is going on. What's going on? Remember that Marvin Gaye song, What's Going On? Remember that? All you oldies, great song, love Marvin Gaye, wonderful voice. What's going on? I, I, there's a scripture that I saw and it was King David when he was, you know, just after Saul, God takes his hand off of King Saul. God places his hand on King David. And David is assembling all these men around him for his army. And he's, he's gathering the tribes of Israel around him. And there was one tribe of Israel called Issachar. And Issachar was very interesting about the gifts that God gave them. And it's recorded for us in First Chronicles 12, 32. And it says this, as, as David's gathering these men, and some are mighty men of valor, and some are good fighters, and so on and so forth. He's gathering his army around him. It's interesting what's described about the tribe of Issachar. And this is what it says. It says, of Issachar, it says, these men were men that had understanding of the times. To know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all their kingsmen under their command. And what their gift was is they could interpret the times. Hey, Dave, this is what's going on around us. This is what God is showing us. This is what we need to be aware of. This is so crucial in our day and age because if we don't understand what's going on around us, we can easily fall for a lie. And here's what's going on around us today. Most young Christian college students entering our colleges today will be challenged on their belief system. If, if they do not have a strong Christian worldview, they will fall prey to a worldly view of what this world offers. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me dive into this. Alan Bloom said this in his book, The Closing of American Minds. He said, there's one thing a professor can absolutely be certain of almost, almost about every student entering the universities of today. He says he knows what they're going to believe. He says, he says with certainty, they will believe that truth is relative. And let me hammer this a little deeper. Josh McDowell, author of Evidence That Demands a Verdict, says this about what's going on in our world today. He said, the belief or worldview forms values, which in turn drives one's behavior. The worldview is where we are falling down the most anywhere in the world. So what is the prevalent worldview in America today? And this is it. There is no truth apart from myself. That's what every 
young, evangelical, fundamental, born-again Christian believes, and this is what Josh McDowell says. He says, we have a major shift in what truth is and where it comes from. We have gone from being God-centered to self-centered, from being objective to being subjective, from being internal to external, he said. Now, remember what relative truth is. It comes from not, not from outside of getting something that God gives us, but something that's internal. He argues the truth that the church upholds is merely viewed as a personal opinion by some people, especially young individuals, due to the idea that most think that God is dead. Now, here is a shocking statistic that, that bothered me. It just it shook me. And here's a statistic. In 1991, it said that 51% of evangelical young adults said there is no absolute truth apart from their own ideas. 51%. That's, that's, that in itself should just alarm us. Today, though, that number has gone up to 91%. He continues. He says, 15 to 20 years ago, the question that you used to hear at universities about faith, Jesus, the Bible, about skepticism, questioning what you believe in, questions that you used to hear in the last two years of college are now being asked by 10 and 11-year-olds. It's coming all right down through Facebook. Now, now here, here, here's where this needs to wake us up. Our worldviews and what we believe about the Bible and absolute truth are not just being challenged now in universities that we used to have to worry about, but are now being challenged through the Internet. And that's what Josh McDowell says is is a huge enemy now of, 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 of our Christian worldviews because now these questions can be asked and say, well, do I really believe that the Word of God is the Word of God? Do I really believe that? You, and, and can you prove it? And then skepticism comes in and what happens is we don't have this foundation of what we believe so when we go off into the world and our beliefs are challenged we see our young people 20 something people just falling away because they have no solid foundation so here's listen listen i'm a parent i've got i've got a a a son that just started in college you know he's going to a christian school and and I would challenge my son, Colby, all the time. Colby, know what you believe. Let's talk about this. And I can remember having a conversation with Colby when he was about 10 or 11 years old. And and he was brought up in church. I'm the only pastor that he's ever heard. God bless him, right? I'm it. And so um, he came up to me. He goes, Dad, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. He goes, how do you know that the word of God is really God's word? He goes, I'm not sure about that. So what I did was I said, because it is, and get up to your room, you're grounded. No, I didn't say that. I, I wasn't defense. I said, Colby, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. So what I began to do is I began to show him the evidence of the word of God. I began to show him archaeological, all, all the different things that, that God's word, all prophetic and all these other things. And that really, he was like, wow, that's really neat. And I, be, have, I, I began to have him read books about that, that, that helped him form his worldview. It's critical that, that, that we see this early in our kids, that we, that, that we challenge them because our world is just is submerging them in these worldviews that are challenging them, that, that, that they walk away from, from their Christian foundation because, because we're not giving them a solid foundation of, of truth and what God's word truly is. So this, this, is, this, is, this is vital 
This is, this is vital that we instill this in our children and let them ask questions and, and challenge them. I remember, um, you know, challenging Colby just about evolution. And he was like, well, what do you think about evolution? I gave him this, this book, uh, Darwin's Black Box uh, by Richard Behe. And he read it. And it was a really hard, deep book. But it really, it, he read it. And, and, and here's the thing. I, you know, before he left for college, he was gaming on the computer like every teenage boy does. And he, uh, he was talking to a, another guy that he games with in, in Columbus, Ohio. And Kathleen walked down in the basement then she's like, Colby's like talking to some kid about the Lord. And he's, he said, I was an agnostic. He goes, I'm not, I'm not an atheist, but I think there's a God. And, and Colby began to share the word of God. And Kathleen's like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? You know, and, and I, I was proud of him. And I, I want Colby to, to challenge him. And, I, I, you know, you, you, you want him, to, you want our kids to know what they believe. And I keep praying for Colby that he would never stray from that. That he would never stray from his foundation. You've never stray. And I know we, as, as some of you, you you've, you've got kids that have strayed from that. And just pray that God brings them back to that truth. And that God shows them and reveals to them truly who he is. That he is their creator. And I know for some of you parents, that's a struggle for you. And, and you've seen your kids kind of divert from the roots that they were brought in. Listen, train up a child in the way he should go. Train him up. And if you train them up. You keep praying that they'll come back to it, amen? Because that word is in there, amen? That, that word is instilled in their heart. So pray that, 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 that they come back. And, and I know it's a challenge for every kid because every child gives you challenges. Some get it and they're, they're strong. Others just, you know, they, they, they struggle with it. But, but here's what I want to give you today. I want to give you a correct Christian worldview. This is so foundational. You've got your, your notes there, uh, you know, in your bulletins there. But, but here, here's, we listen. We have to be able, people, to answer these three questions. If you cannot answer these three questions, the world is going to suck you into their worldview. And, and you're not going to be able to challenge lies when they come your way. So, so let's, let's answer these three questions. And, and, and I'm, I'm praying that, that this just gets into your spirit and helps you to, to formulate a correct worldview so we can challenge the, the worldviews that are being that we're being inundated with. First of all, here are the three questions. The questions are questions of existence, the question of, of problems or are there problems in our world today? And then, and then the question of solution. And, and, and so the Bible answers all three of those, the question of, you know, existence and why is there problem and evil and sin in the world? And then the solution, how, how do we fix all this? The Bible answers all three. So we need to know this if we're going to defend our faith in our world today. So let's look at the first question. It's the question of existence. It's the origins of life. It's why are we here? What is, what is my purpose? Um, um, Genesis chapter 1. Let's just start off in Genesis because Genesis 1, 2, and 3. If you get those down, it will answer all of, our, uh, the, uh, all of your questions about life and, and give us a correct world, Christian worldview to, to defend what we believe in this world today. Look, look at what God said. It said, God said in the, in the first chapter of Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. There, there's a little glimpse into the Trinity. Isn't that cool? Right there. There's the Trinity. Right there is the Trinity. Woohoo! So I'm going to do a whole message on the Trinity in, in the fall. That's going to be real fun. So pray for me. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to hammer that down. A lot of people ask me, Pastor, can you explain the Trinity? No, but I'm going to try. So we're going to do that in the fall. But, but let's, God says, let's make them in our image. So God is what? He's our creator after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish. 
Okay, I've yet to have any dominion over fish. So I'm praying for every time I go out and I fish, I say, God, give me dominion over the bass. Okay? It usually doesn't work, but maybe in heaven it will work. But dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Everybody said, amen. You're not a mistake. God created you in his image. So that, that's our purpose. You're not, you're, you're not just a blob that became Bob. Okay, you're not this random thing that just happened, like naturalistic philosophy says, that it's just all random, it's, it's all chaos that became order. When we look into our universe, there is such order. We, are, we live on such a privileged planet, there's nothing like it that they've ever discovered. So you are not a mistake. God created you. And so what this does is, if we are God's creation is designed to have a relationship with our creator, he's given us the ability to express and show his glory through us. We are not a mistake. We are not a product of random choice. This combats the philosophy of naturalism that we are a byproduct of natural happenstance. You know, blob to bob. It just comes against it. You say, no, God created you. God wants to display his glory through you. Naturalism gives us no meaning to life or existence or explains that. It tries, but it fails miserably. The second question is the question of problems. Why are we in such a mess? Genesis chapter 3 describes the fall of man and how they disobeyed God's command not to eat from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, now the, the sin against God uh, subjected the world to a curse and the result is spiritual and physical death. So because of their fall, that's the reason why there is physical death and we see sin in the world and that, 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 that we see people do bad and evil things and, and we're all privy to that. But the wrong we see in the world is a direct result of man's disobedience to God. And so what this combats is the philosophy of moralism. And what moralism says in our world is that as long as I'm a good person, um, uh, you know, as long as I do good things, then I can combat this. But the word of God says we've all fallen short of God's perfection. We've fallen short of our creator. And we can't ultimately save ourselves or fix ourselves through our own goodness. And, and so what we do is we, we look to ourselves in order to fix ourselves. And we look to ourselves through our achievements if I can just achieve these great things, then, then, then it will make me feel good about myself. But how many know those are futile attempts that can never ultimately fix the sin issue? Only God can fix that for us. There's an interesting um, little dialogue between Rocky and Adrian in Rocky 1, which is the best movie that's ever been made, by the way. Um, as you all know, I love Rocky. Rocky 1's just the best. But in, in the movie Rocky, um, Yo Adrian has a... She's, remember Yo Adrian? Best line ever in any movie ever, okay? But Adrian asks Rocky, why did it mean so much to Rocky to go the distance with the champ Apollo Creed? She goes, why, why do you want to go to the distance? What's the big deal? No one's expecting, everybody is expecting you just to fail. What's the big deal? You're going to make some money. What's the big deal? And Rocky said this, then I'll know that I'm not a bum. If I can just go the distance, then I'll know I'm not a bum. 
see, once again, it's that mind of achievement. If I can just achieve this, then I'll know that I'm not a bum. But that's not going to, that can never fix our sin problem. In the movie Chariots of Fire, once again, another great movie, details the life of Eric Little in the 1924 Olympic Games, great sprint runner. Eric Little was a believer in Christ, refused to win one of his races because it was on Sunday. Great movie, you can never catch it. But there's two main characters that are competing for the 100 meters. One is Harold uh, Abrahams and, and the other is Eric Little. And, and it, it, here's both of them, both of their quotes. Um, Harold Abraham says, says this about running his race. He says, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? He's depending on a hundred meter race to justify his whole existence. Now, now juxtapose that to Eric Little. And he says this, Eric Little says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Secular worldview, Christian worldview. That my existence doesn't depend on my achievements. My existence is from God who I'm there to please. See the difference? And here's the thing. When, when you have an understanding that, that this world and their problems and the sin that it is that we can't fix it ourselves, when you understand it, then all of a sudden your heart gets turned towards God who says, listen, I'm the one that can fix you. So there's, there's nothing in this world that, that, that you should attach yourself to that should give you significance because those things will let you down. He goes, attach yourself to me. I'll be your significance. I'll be your purpose. I'll be your identity. It, it, whether you run the 100-meter dash and you win it or you don't win it, doesn't matter. It's not who you are. Your identity is in Christ. It doesn't matter what your past is, your failures, what you've done wrong in your life. The, that is not your identity. Your identity now is in Christ Jesus who makes us all new creations in him. Amen? Praise God for that. It takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Now, does God want you to do well? Did, did Eric Little want to do it? Sure he did, but that wasn't his purpose. That wasn't his identity. That wasn't his existence. So, so the, the problem in the world today is sin. That's the reason why we see the evil in the world we see in today. And then the third question of, uh, uh, that we need to have a correct understanding is this. What is, what is the solution? How do we fix it? And, and, and once again, back in Genesis, God did something for Adam and Eve in their rebellion against God that they couldn't do for themselves. He provided for their shame. Genesis 3.21 says, and God, what he did for them, as you remember, Adam and Eve made the, the fig leaves, which just covered their shame, but they ran and they hid from God. And God says, listen, that's not going to do it. And so what God did for them, the word of God says, is he made for Adam and Eve and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now, this fig leaves were a futile attempt to cover their shame. And actually what God did for them, this was the first blood sacrifice. Because of their sins, something had to be sacrificed in order to appease God's holiness. So God provided for them this sacrifice. He covered for their shame. And so what God ultimately does for us is he does this for, for us through his son, Jesus Christ, because he becomes our substitute for our sin. Luke 19.10 says, for the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. And so Jesus ultimately became our sacrifice to deal with our sin issue. And so the one man that brought sin into the world, Adam, through the one man, Jesus Christ, brings redemption for the whole world. 
We couldn't do that ourselves. God did it for us because he loved us so much. Now, what this comes against is humanism. What humanism says is man can fix all the problems. But look where that has gotten us. Okay? It's not gotten us very far. God fixed the problem for us. We need him and we needed a savior. So the truth is we are lost without God. The truth is we are sinners. The truth is we are messed up. But the truth is we are loved at the same time. The truth is we don't deserve God's grace, yet he gives it to us. And so I like what Tim Keller says here. He says here, it says, when we realize that we are more wicked and flawed than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time more affirmed, valued, and wanted more than we'd ever dared hoped. The same time. That's what our God does for us. You see, here, here's, here's the balance of, of truth and grace and knowing the truth. You see, if, if we love without truth, and so many people say, well, love is all you need, right? Love is all you need. Just, just let's join hands, sing kumbaya, and let's just love each other, right? That's all we need. But the problem is love without truth is just sentimentality. It's just sentiment. It's very sentimental. It, it supports and it affirms, but it keeps us in denial about our flaws, Right? So without truth, it keeps us in denial about our flaws. Now, now truth without love, so many people, well, let's give them the truth. But if, if there's no love, then it's just harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. So how many know that those two have to be gelled together? Truth and love have to be gelled together. And that's what God did for us. So God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. And the conviction and repentance moves us to cling and to rest in God's mercy and grace. Isn't that good? See, See, here's, here's, how we're, here's how we're going to battle the world's philosophies today. The, the, the moment I begin to look at myself and think, hmm, I can fix myself. Hmm, I can do it this way. Hmm, I can, you know, I, I'll just add these things in my life to try to fix myself. The, the further and further we get away from the gospel message that Jesus came for sinners that the only way to heaven is through Christ Jesus, that the only fix for this world is Jesus, the further and further we move away from that, the more and more we begin to have this hybrid type of belief in God that is so watered down that can never change anyone. And so what Jesus calls us today is, is, is a radical transformation in our lives that walks away from the falseness of this world's ideas and beliefs and says, I'm going to cling to you, Jesus. That, 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 that I'm going to leave behind those things that I thought were going to fulfill me and I'm going to cling to you. It, it's, Jesus calls us to radical discipleship that he says, take up your cross and follow me. And there are things that you're going to have to do in this world that are going to come against the flow of this world that aren't going to be popular 
that, that, that you're, you're going to be seen in an incorrect light. And so th- the way I believe we need to live our lives is we have to stand firm in what the truth is, but let us make sure that we blanket that in our love. And, and I believe if we do that, we'll be honoring to Christ. We'll be honoring to the Lord. And, and, I, and I, think, I, think, I think the problem that we have, and, and I'm not even going to be honest with you, I'm not going to point the finger at the world here. I'm going to point the, the finger at us as Christians or followers of Christ. Um, we need to start getting serious. And, and I, I, I think we, we spend so much of our time pursuing things that really don't matter. Now, now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to enjoy things in this world, okay? Um, but, but I think a lot of times we spend so much of our time in endless pursuits of things that aren't grounding us to Christ. And so what happens is when calamity comes into our life or things come into our life that, that happen, it can so easily shake us. And if we don't have a firm foundation in what we believe, we will be easily shaken. And so as your pastor, um, I, I want you to, to really know what you believe. To, to challenge yourself. When, when, when there are questions that you have about your faith, which is fine. You know, I, want, I want you to research those things. You know, I've challenged you to, to read the book Knowing God by J.R. Packer. I, I challenge you to read you know, Tim Keller, The Reason for God. You know, those are things that, listen, there are a lot of great books out there. But if our theology is shaky and we struggle answering skeptics and, and, and if we don't, like the Bible says, if we can't give people the hope for why we believe in what we believe about Jesus Christ. There's something wrong in my faith. There's something wrong in my walk. And, and so that's why, you know, Paul challenged Timothy. He said, Timothy, listen, know what you believe. Be firm in your doctrine, in your teaching. You know, be firm. Know what so you can combat the heresy and the wrong teaching that can easily infiltrate the church. I want you to stand up for that. So that's why I challenge you to be gospel-centered people every week, to know what you believe, so that when a lie comes down, your, your little radar goes, whoop, beep, 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 wait, 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 wait. And I'll tell you what, um, yesterday when Kathleen was going to appendectomy, the, the, you know, she's talking about the appendix, and she goes, well, you know, the appendix has no use. And when we were all in our embryo state, right, right? And I said, doctor, let me correct you right now. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say you. <laughs> right. But, but right away, watch, right away, Kathleen and I looked at each other. And guess what? Our Christian worldview radar went beep, wrong. No, I didn't say it. Right. So that should be some, if, if your radar didn't go off, something's wrong. Right. If you're like, oh, that's nice, doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what? Right away, your radar should go off. So. That's why I want to challenge you to know what you believe. Know what you believe. Now, it's okay if someone asks you a question and you don't know it. You can't, you know, verbatim just spit it out. But challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. 
and good books about theology. And as we balance that in our love for Jesus Christ, we'll have a correct worldview to combat the lies that come into our hearts and our lives. And so we have to do it embraced in God's love and let that love and truth be balanced in our life. Let's be like the men of Issachar. We need to know the times. Let's not bury our heads in the sand and, and just think that it's not going to affect us. It's affecting the church, and that's why I'm just stirred up as a pastor because I don't want to see that happen. I want to challenge you to know what you believe. So as we go, as we go to the Lord's table today and we just, as we just um, thank God for, for Jesus and what he's done, Here, here's another way that we express our faith and believe in the truth of what Jesus Christ did for us. You know, as followers of Christ, we believe that Jesus' sacrifice is the only way, that we believe that his blood and his body was given to us for the remission and the forgiveness of our sins, that it's only through this, it's only through Christ that we can find forgiveness. There's no other way, there's no other person, there's not a, another religion, another belief system. It's Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. So when we take communion, we're actually proclaiming what we believe. So let me just say this as we take communion today. If you don't believe that, don't take communion. And that's okay. Actually, I'll respect you for that. Don't take it. If you don't believe it, if you don't, if what I just said, and you're saying, Pastor, that, you know, that's great for you. I'm still thinking about all this stuff. Good for you. Keep coming. Keep coming next week. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep seeking. I would challenge you to seek out what you believe. Just don't, you know, Ravi Zacharias was, was at, Georgia Tech University, students were throwing questions, and one student goes, well, what about all the contradictions in the Bible, right? So, so Robbie goes, I know those arguments, and, and I've studied very deeply, so can I ask you, name one for me, and then we'll talk about that one. And he couldn't. He just believed what someone else said. So I would tell you, if you're here and you're skeptical, study for yourself. Start reading the Bible for yourself. Don't listen to somebody else. Study it for yourself, and let yourself come to those conclusions. Just don't, you know, what we do is we blindly believe, well, if it's on the internet, you know, then it must be true, right? Just, just don't, just don't take it as just because someone else said it. So this, this student didn't know what to say because he didn't study it for himself. He just listened to what someone else said. So know it for yourself. And so as we come to the Lord's table, what we're actually doing is we're proclaiming that Jesus is the only way, that he is God, that we're proclaiming that it's only through him that we can find forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus says, whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. So we're actually proclaiming that truth and we're doing it as a body of Christ to believe it together. So, so as we pray, just know this, that whether you're seeking here today or whether you, you're a follower of Jesus Christ or you're just an admirer of Jesus, know what you believe. Know it. We never stop growing in our relationship with Christ. And we need it more than ever. We need to have a firm foundation more than ever before in this world that we live in today. So let's pray and, and let's just ask God just to touch this time together as we close the service and we take communion today. Lord, God, I just pray that, that Lord, you would challenge us as a church. Lord, that you would challenge us in our faith with you. That, Lord, whether we're here and we're followers of Christ or we're just seeking, we're just, we're not really followers, but we're seeking. That's okay. 
Lord, but I pray that, that we would seek it and know it and, and that, God, we just wouldn't be ignorant or, or like Pontius Pilate where we just don't care. Because, Jesus, if you said that you are the way, the truth, and life, and there's no other way but through you, then we need to know that because you made some pretty audacious claims about yourself. And we believe that, Jesus, you are God because you conquered death through the cross and through your resurrection. No one else can claim that. Your miracles, everything authenticates who you are. And so, Jesus, we believe that today that you are God, that you are the only one that can forgive us of our sins, that without Christ, we are eternally condemned because of our sins. And we believe that only through Christ, we can find eternal life and forgiveness for our sins. So Lord, as we just come before you today and we just express this, we thank you that Jesus, you tell us that, that when we come before you and and, and we take this, that we do this in remembrance of you, that this is a new covenant through your blood that you've established with us, that this is a relationship that we can now have to God because of what you've done for us, that, that now we can boldly approach God knowing that our sins have been forgiven. So thank you for the confidence that we have now in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we just pray that you would just bless this time as we worship you, as we, as we just express that today. We just thank you for what you did for us. And we just ask these things. In Jesus' wonderful name, in Jesus' wonderful name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, Please take communion at the end, and we'll take it as, as, as one body, and we'll pray together at the end. So God bless you as the worship team leads us in worship.